You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Jason. And I'm Laura. And this is the Earn and Invest podcast. It took three months and personally cost us thousands of dollars. My wife took off 12 weeks of work with the sole purpose of getting her parents situated. There was a three bedroom house to clean, pack, and sell, and a new single floor condo to be bought, and tons of landmines both emotional, physical, and economical to be expertly traversed. Our parents support us for the first 20 odd years of life, and then we are on our own. They devote their money, time, and hopefully love to launch us on our way. For many of us, however, the tables eventually turn. One day we become the parents and they become the dependents. Most are not ready when the call comes. Maybe we don't have enough time, or it might be an issue of money but the likelihood is that your parents will need you to help them as they age and become less able. Will you be prepared? Laura and Jason are financially independent who spend their free time in Lake Chapala, Mexico. We met this year at Bogota, Colombia at the Chautauqua Conference, where I was privileged to hear about their path to financial freedom, as well as some of their hardships along the way. Laura and Jason, welcome to Earn and Invest. Laura, Tell us, where are you right now at the moment as we speak? We're in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And why are you there right now? This is my parents' home, and we're here to help my parents out. Elaborate. My parents are both in assisted living, and they went into assisted living in 2021, and there is a lot to do to manage their home, their finances, and their well-being. So I am here doing exactly that. So let's talk about your path a little bit. I know that you guys live in North Carolina, yet you spend a lot of time in Mexico. Also, part of the reason you're able to do that is because you're financially independent. Tell us, Jason, about discovering financial independence and how you got interested in it. I have to give all the credit to my wife, Laura. She did an amazing job. We were looking at ways. We we lived in California prior. We sold our home. We had a big chunk of money. And Laura was really interested in figuring out how to get our money to work for us. And so I did my day job. Laura spent hundreds of hours just pouring over you know, the FI community, learning as much as she could. And then finally, we pulled the trigger and invested into the Vanguard Index Funds and poured in as much money as we could while we were still working. And then... Uh, at a certain point, we just realized we got enough money. We can stop working if we choose to. Jason, what were you both doing at the time for a living? I do sales. And at the time, I was here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, selling new construction homes. I was the first time ever selling new construction homes. And I, I worked there for about 14 months and sold 15 homes and poured as much of my commission as I could into our investments. So, Laura, let's talk a little bit about the financial independence life and what you were hoping it would be versus what it is today. I know that you have an interest of spending time in Lake Chapala as well as in North Carolina. Talk to me about the relationship with your parents, how it was when you first discovered you were financially independent and how it is today. When I first discovered that we were financially independent, As a child, I always wanted to travel and see the world and see as many different things as possible. So I thought, wow, here's our chance. We can do this now. My parents were in a stable enough condition that we felt like we could leave and they would be okay. They had support 
And so we decided, let's let's do it. And that's what we did. And we traveled and we spent time in Mexico. And I was learning a lot more Mexican. I thought, oh boy, a second language. We're seeing exciting new places. And that was kind of what I had envisioned. Well, this is what we're going to do is we're going to go to interesting places and meet people and learn things and eat great food and just share all that. And that was what I was most excited about us getting a chance to do and doing it on our own schedule, whenever we felt like it, whenever it worked for us. And that did change. And how and why did that change? So things with my parents changed. and. Even though my idea of what it would look like once we were financially independent and all those things I just mentioned, as my parents' health declined and as they needed more support, that meant that I needed to be a bigger part of their lives and that support. And that meant I had to sort of turn down those other things that I was talking about because there just wasn't room for all of it. Laura, tell me a little bit about how that felt. And I want you to, maybe not in a lot of detail, but talk about how your relationship was with your parents at the time and how it felt to maybe put some of your wants or needs on hold, knowing that this was where they were in life. I had tried to set up a situation where they would have enough care that they could actually age in place and that that was going to work. That started falling apart. That started becoming obvious that that wasn't going to work and that I was going to have to give more of my time and energy and money to make sure that they were cared for. And that, although I do love my parents, of course, they're my parents, but this wasn't what I had in my mind. This wasn't my plan. It came on kind of heavy because most of it falls onto my shoulders. I do have siblings. However, it falls onto my shoulders to do the lion's share of it, which means my time, my energy, my money goes to supporting my parents. And it's a lot. It can be overwhelming at times. It can be stressful, definitely. And I'm always, it feels like it's a full-time job, but it's 24-7 that I need to be on call at all times. Jason, I want you to compare and contrast what Laura's talking about to the situation you faced, you both obviously realize you're financially independent at the same time. You both started traveling and doing things together. And things didn't exactly turn out the way you thought they would either with your father. Tell me about what happened. I'm really close to my father. I mean, free, I mean, very, very close. And when we became financially independent, we were traveling. I found as much time as I could to reach to reach out to my dad. We would talk three, four hours a day, three to four days a week, especially after his wife passed away, my stepmom, and he was alone. And then COVID came in and he was at, lonely at home by himself. We spent a lot of time talking on the phone. Now, for me, I was very fortunate. My dad kept all of his medical issues to himself. We never knew how bad off he was. We'd never got a chance to be there to help him. I got a call from my brother. Hey, dad's not doing well. You need to come here. So I was there the last two weeks of his life. We were there with him, but I never had to step in and manage their money and manage his bills and all the different things that Laura has to do for her parents. And so for me, being FI and getting that opportunity to be there for my dad and spend a lot of time with him was a wonderful thing. Talk to me more about how you spend time with your dad. You just mentioned the last two weeks, but my understanding from talking to you before is for that last year or so, you were much more present in his life. Oh, absolutely. I wasn't physically with him, but we spent 20 plus hours usually just talking every week. We used to do video, but as he started to degrade, he didn't want to do video. So it was always just like a Zoom call or you know, a Facebook Messenger call. And we spent a lot of time just just talking, you know, a lot of times just talking about the same things over and over. It was just just being there for him and with him was really a blessing. Laura, tell me a little bit about organizing your parents. Do you think you would have been able to be as present and do the things that you're doing now if you were not financially independent? I don't see how I could. And if I could, it would be a percentage of what I'm doing now. I don't, I, I couldn't, I definitely couldn't do it to the degree that I'm doing it now if I were not financially independent. Tell me about some of the things you're doing now that you probably wouldn't have time for. 
Well, I do make all of their appointments and I have to be available and ready whenever they're at an appointment to answer questions for the doctor or take in information for the doctor or talk about medications. So every appointment they have, I have to be available. That's something I don't think I could do if I had a regular job. I'd have responsibilities in my job. I couldn't just be available whenever a question comes up. Also, I do have to manage their finances. And sometimes that does mean I need to make phone calls. I need to fax things. Somebody needs something right now, or at least by the, you know, in a couple of hours, I've got to get this form or that form. It needs to be signed. I need to make sure that it gets signed. I'm the POA. So I'm the one that has to do it. They can no longer sign things. And so that also is something that would be very hard to do if I was also holding up, holding down a full-time job. I'd have a hard time taking all this time off to, oh, hey, wait, I got to take care of this other stuff. So that's something that's difficult to do. Just just managing their everyday things, uh, what they need. My mom needs something from the grocery store. I've got to arrange someone to go get that for her. Or my, my dad needs uh, some new shoes. Who's going to go get new shoes? Okay, I got to go find somebody that's available to go get him some new shoes. And whenever he's available to do it, or whenever the caregiver is available to do it, this all has to be coordinated. So again, I, I need to take time to do all of those things. And I need to be available to do it. And Laura, talk to me in general terms about sharing responsibilities with your siblings, because I've taken care of lots of elderly people. And one thing that I've realized is it's often one person who ends up being the point from the family, right? So you have some families where everyone is is available and pitching in, but that's not actually what I see in reality. In reality, I tend to see usually it's one child who's doing the bulk of the work. And I'm afraid that's true in, in my situation as well. I am the youngest of three, so I do have an older sister and an older brother. And my brother does help in the way that he can. He is holding down a full-time job and he also has kind of a side hustle that he has to work on. So he's busy. He does what he can and he I'm I'm appreciative for what he does. My sister is sort of not really so much in the picture. So she's doing her own thing with her family. And so, yes, it does fall on to me to take care of all of these things that need to be done on a regular basis. I can't just say, well, I'm not going to do that today or this week. No, I have to be available. So I do feel like it, it mostly falls onto my shoulders. I didn't ask for it, but I'm the one who who can and will handle it. So it falls to me. Being financially independent is a boon, right? It allows us to do the things we want to do. But I also wonder if siblings and other family members kind of look at you and say, well, you're not doing anything. So this should become your job. I mean, do you get some of that from family members on both sides? Absolutely. It's it's almost like we're being punished for being successful because <laughs> we have the time, we have the means, we have the ability where the other folks, especially Laura's siblings, the, they don't have the time, they don't have the means, and ultimately they don't really have the drive that Laura has. Um, in my situation with my father, my brother lived in the same town with him, and so he was the executor and the power of attorney. So my brother has to do the lion's share for my father, but that's how it was set up. You know, my dad was alive. I spent more time with him than anybody in the family. But ultimately, my brother's there. He has children. And my dad basically gave his house and everything to his grandchildren. So it just makes sense that my brother has to manage all that. It's all going to his kids. So, Laura, talk about the difficulty of juggling the life you still want to live versus fulfilling your family responsibilities. You guys still love going to Lake Chapala. It's one of the places that you feel most comfortable in. How do you balance this responsibility versus kind of living the life you want to live? It's not easy. I... I did struggle for a while with trying to find that balance. I still do. It's it's a little bit better now, but yeah, I kind of put all of the things that I wanted to do on a back burner and put everything that my parents needed first. So that was hard because it wasn't something I just necessarily wanted to do, but it did come up suddenly and, and it it all needed to be done. So I had to do it. And while that was going on, it was building up a lot of stress. I wasn't giving myself enough breaks. I wasn't doing many of the things that I loved because I just didn't have time. And I felt like there's not enough bandwidth. I have to take care of these things. There's nothing left once I take care of those things. So 
I ended up being very, very overwhelmed and stressed. And it's been hard. I know it needs to be done. I love my parents. I want the best for them. But trying to find that balance is not easy. I'm better now, but it's it's definitely it's it's struggle. Jason, talk about those stresses. I mean, again, we think of this idea of, okay, we're retired. Everything is going to be sunshine and roses. Does being financially independent take away the stress of doing this? It doesn't. You know, again, seeing Laura and all that she's doing, I mean, most days she spends three to five hours a day coordinating you know, like I said the appointments, the caregivers, and everything else for her parents. That it's really hard to see her, you know, struggle, be frustrated. I, I try to help where I can, but there's just certain things she just has to do on her own. So I try to be there for her and say, "Hey, you can put that down. Go for a bird walk. Go, you know, take a break. You deserve a break." So I try to encourage her and help her out the best that I can. But you know, being FI. It just gives you the time to have to do those things. It doesn't really alleviate any of that stress. I mean, for example, her mom's had a few falls recently and she got a call at 3.30 in the morning. Hey, your mom falls. She's got to go to the hospital. And Laura had to get up, scramble to make sure somebody could meet her mom to the hospital because she can't check herself in. She doesn't know her own medical history. And you just don't know when those calls are going to come. And like Laura said, she's always trying to make sure she's available. So we've really had to put our FI dreams on hold as as we go through this process and and just taking care of her parents into life process. Laura, could you have foreseen any of this? Because I think we have a lot of people, right, who are listening to this podcast right now and they're striving towards financial independence or some might be at that point of financial independence. How do we kind of prepare for this idea that maybe we're all of a sudden going to have a bunch of responsibilities that we weren't expecting? Like, how do we prepare for that? That's a hard question. I don't know, because each one of our situations will be different. What's going on with my parents isn't necessarily what's going to happen to someone else that I know. I thought I had things set up. And I found out that the things that I thought were set up weren't working. And so I had to sort of go back and start all over again. It's, it's, It's not anything I could have foreseen. I, there's no way I could have seen that what I'm doing now was what I would be doing. I could not have seen this. I knew something probably was going to change, but I would not have, have seen it the way that it actually is. The way it works is ultimately we tried to talk to their parents years ago. We we originally were from California. We sold our home there and we moved out here in was it 2014 or so to try to help get them in a better place. And we tried to sit down and talk to them about a will and and the things necessary to be ready. And her mom was a little bit more receptive. We took her to a lawyer. We had some paperwork written up. Her father refused to talk about any of it at all, period. So without that input from her parents, it was really difficult, especially when it came down to they no longer could do it themselves. So we tried to put as much in place as possible with the reluctance of her father. We really couldn't put it in place. But Laura knew the entire time that when it came down to more help, it was going to fall on her shoulders because she knew her siblings were not in a place. And we should mention, Laura, that with your parents, I believe different than Jason's dad, there's been a mental decline. So in this case, it's you can't necessarily reason with them or ask them exactly what they want. Or you're kind of at that point where you're really making the decisions. That is correct. Both of my parents have dementia. They have two different types. My father has the Alzheimer's type. My mother has Lewy body dementia. So yes, it is difficult because I can't really talk about things. And, and, and it happened relatively quickly that with my father, he was always kind of a, a, a do it my, my way or the highway type guy. And so if he didn't want to do something, it was always like that anyway. And then as his mental decline came in more, it was impossible. Because he you couldn't he couldn't understand what you were talking about. So it didn't matter anyway. With my mother, we did as much as we could. And then it became obvious that there was even more that needed to be done as we got into the actuality of things. 
I'm finding out even right now that there are things that I have to find workarounds because I didn't, I thought I had it lined up in a certain way. I thought I had the right paper paperwork and that that was going to help me do what I needed to do. And I'm finding out, oh, wait, no, it's not quite helping. So now I got to find workarounds around that because they can't answer for themselves. They can't verify things. They can't sign things. And I can't discuss things with them. So I'm, I'm really having the reality of, oh, well, this is what this means. This is what I have to do. And I have to be here to do it. There's no other way. Can you give an example of one of those workarounds? I was going to try to sell my father's car. And it turned out that he had probably thrown away the paperwork that was supposed to have happened with his plates and registration. And I thought, well, I've got the financial POA. I can just take the title and go down there and take care of that. And they said, absolutely not. If you don't bring him, we're not doing this. So I thought, oh, I thought I was able to get around this. And as it turns out, no, I can't get around this. So what are we going to do about this car? I did end up finding another way around that so that we could get rid of the car. But while the car is sitting there, unable to be fixed, unable to be driven, and we're still paying car insurance on it. So we needed to find a way. And I thought that I had everything lined up. I thought I was good. I wasn't. And so that's an example of, and I had to physically be here so I could handle this. One of the things that I have to to physically handle, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, we had something very similar to that with my wife when my wife went to cancel ridiculous whole life policy that was pretty much burial insurance that, that they had paid already more than the value of the insurance over the years. And she had the financial power of attorney and she even got her dad on the phone, but they had just moved. And so when the person on the phone asked her dad their new address, because they had just moved and he's in his 90s and was a little bit confused, he couldn't come up with the new address. And they're like, well, you can't cancel the policy. It's like, but she's the financial POA. And, you know, it's interesting because you come up against these things over and over again, even if you think you have the right paperwork. Jason, let's talk about some of that paperwork. Did you find that you guys were behind the eight ball? Like, did you know what forms needed to be filled by when? Because I know when someone starts losing their mental capacities, you kind of have a set amount of time on the clock. And if you don't get some of the stuff done, it gets increasingly more difficult. We took Laura's mom down and had all the paperwork done with a lawyer had it all done right. Her father refused. And then while we were out traveling, one of the caregivers, her father is retired Air Force and they live next to a military base. So we were out traveling. One of the caregivers took both of the parents down on base to the legal department on base and had them do new paperwork, which then superseded the paperwork that Laura had already done with her parents. Wow. And they put Laura's sister, who is a ghost and not even here for any of this, as the main person for everything. And it was it, it was a big mess. And so we were fortunate enough a year or so ago. It might have been a gray area, but Laura was able to get a bunch of new paperwork put together, legal, you know, the financial POA, uh, the healthcare POA, and got a notary to come to the facility where her parents live and sign new paperwork because her par- the parents picked the sister because she lived the closest, but she is not here. She's not helpful. And it wasn't going to work out that way. And so Laura had to scramble and get new paperwork done. We were very fortunate that it was still early enough in the decline, even though the decline was way into it. But her father, he's he wouldn't say anything. And he just signed the paperwork. And it was very fortunate because now Laura is the responsible one for everything because she is the one doing everything. But it it was really scary for a while. Yeah, it's notable that <clears throat> legal paperwork like that actually still can be signed as long as the person understands what the paperwork is, even if they've mentally declined quite a bit. So we get people who are in the midst of actually moderate dementia who still can sign legal paperwork legally because they understand the consequences of what they're doing, even if they're not completely with it, which clearly was the case. Laura, tell me your head must have exploded when you found out about this caregiver taking them over and getting this paperwork. I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. I was, first of all, shocked that it had happened at all. And then for the fact that it had superseded everything that we had done prior with my mother, which was the whole point of why we took my mother down to do it. I just was like in shock and thinking, that's never going to work. What are we going to do? (laughs) We need to do something about this. How are we going to get this done? 
So yeah, I, yeah, my head did pretty much explode. And then it was immediately like, oh my gosh, how do we fix this? <laughs> Jason, one of the things that I, when we were going through it, my wife and I, and we feel very lucky of the sense that we do feel that we have enough money and we're financially independent, but my wife is still working. She had to take three months off of work, which is somewhat of a financial burden. Tell me, Jason and Laura, let's start with Jason. Do you feel like this has had a financial burden on your life? I mean, yes, it's taken a lot of time, et cetera, but do you worry about your own finances and say, hmm, did we plan this not realizing that maybe we'd have some some financial burden here? I don't worry about it. We're comfortable enough where we are that we don't worry about it. But every time we're traveling and we need to fly back to take care of things, it's it's easy $1,500 every time we have to come back and take care of things, if not more. And then, you know, we do like to travel outside the U.S. and we come back, we get that sticker shock every time we show in the U.S. to go out to dinner and those type of things. But financially, we're comfortable enough that we, we don't stress about that for this purpose. Well, no, we don't stress daily about that. But I am concerned about making sure that as their level of care rises, that there is enough money to meet that level. They do have savings and they do have a home, which, as it turns out, we're probably going to need to sell that home sooner than I thought because we need to make sure there's enough. Because these are the things that we don't know the answers to. How long will this care need to be going on and what will the cost be over time? Costs rise and care levels rise. And so that's the piece that I'm concerned about because if they don't have enough, then we're going to need to cover it. We are fortunate that her parents saved a big chunk of money that they had. And so with the money that they have coming in for a while, it was taking care of their monthly bills. But at this time, it's now starting to dip into the savings that they had. But we're very fortunate that they had saved quite a bit of money on their own. Laura, was there ever talk of long-term care insurance? I mean, this is one of those things that gets batted around and often people never move on it. Was it ever a consideration? Well, unfortunately, my father didn't want to talk about any of these things, and my mother couldn't do one on her own, so we never got to have that conversation. So no, we didn't get to talk about it. I would have loved to have had that conversation and said, hey, can we get ready for this? But my father absolutely refused to talk about anything like that. So no. <laughs> We are talking to Laura and Jason, who I met at the Chautauqua in Bogota this year, and we are discussing what happens when our parents need us. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's economically, as our parents age, are we going to be there to take care of them, and what will that cost us? We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. 
That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey everybody, I just wanted to let you know that last episode's giveaway of J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth, the hardcover, it was hand-signed, was a huge success. We gave away all five copies within a few hours. I also wanted to thank everybody who has taken the time to go to Amazon and review my book, Taking Stock. If you've read the book, it's really helpful. The easiest way to get there is just go to earnandinvest.com slash book. That will take you to the Amazon page. These reviews are essential. They let people know that Taking Stock is worth reading. Even if you don't write out a full review, if you just put in the stars rating, the five stars helps out quite a bit. I appreciate it, and I hope that you've gotten the chance to read Taking Stock and have enjoyed it. Otherwise, we'll be trying to do more giveaways in the future as books become available. I will be giving them out for you, our community. Now let's get you back to the show. We are talking to Laura and Jason, who are financially independent and who spend as much free time as they can in Lake Chapala, Mexico. They reside in North Carolina. Laura is helping take care of her parents. Jason was there when his father got terminally ill and died. And we are discussing financial independence and how it plays into dealing with our parents and their needs as they get older. Jason, let's talk about this idea of trying to prepare for what your parents might need. When you talk to people about financial independence nowadays, do you tell them, hey, you should really factor in something for possibly caring for family members? Like maybe there needs to be a bucket there for some money to set aside outside of what you need to support yourself? Honestly, no. You know, when I talk to people about financial independence, it's more about where I'm at and what the dream was, not necessarily as much about the reality, because the reality is a lot tougher sometimes than the dream. And so it's easier to talk about the dream. That's interesting, Laura. I mean, it's easier to talk about the dream. It's easier to think about the dream. But this is now your reality. I mean, are there any misgivings about even like pushing towards financial independence now that you're here and you're kind of spending a lot of time dealing with your parents? Was there ever a part of you that said, well, why were we in such a rush? We might as well just stuck with our jobs, et cetera. No, I wouldn't say that. I'm still glad that we did pursue financial independence. That's still something that I I don't regret that. Absolutely not. However, this is definitely not the dream that I had in my mind. And I don't like the fact that because we are financially independent, it does feel like things fall on me because, oh, well, you're not working anyway. So you must have all the time in the world. So why don't you handle this or that? So, yeah, there's that. Jason, is there an argument for people who are going through this with their family members? Because, you know, I think that happened to us a lot, too, for different reasons. But this idea of because you managed your life well, you are now getting this extra burden. How do you talk to family members about that and say, well, it's not really my fault that you didn't manage your life, but they're still your parents. So you need to step up also. That's a real tough question, you know, because the family members don't see it that way. Anyhow, you can say whatever you want to say. They, they think that they're in the right anyways, because most people do, you know, and again, in the case with, you know, Laura's brother, he's, He's out hustling all the time, trying to, you know, day job, side hustle, just, you know, the daily survival, you know. And so it's really hard to say you have to do more when he's working his hardest and he's filling in where he can, but he's got to survive. He's got to pay his bills. And so it's really a challenge to say you got to be equal share in the burden, even though I have more resources. In my side of the family with my father, it's, I really got off easy compared to what I see Laura struggling with. You know, my, my brother has the lion's share and I don't, I don't actually have to participate, but you know, again, Laura and I've been together 35 years. I've known her folks for 35 years. I'm just as invested with her to try to help her out. I love her parents, you know, as well. And it, it's just the burden we have to carry. And this, we just have to accept that. Laura, tell me, about the emotions that get involved with this. I mean, from our experience, 
it's always a mix between somewhat sometimes anger, right? Feeling like, why is this burden on me? Why didn't you do a better job of this? And then the other side is empathy, right? Looking at your parents and saying, well, they kind of did the best they could. Tell me about those emotions and how they've kind of changed over time. Yeah, they are there. There there are times when definitely I can I can understand that they're in a situation where they need the help. They need as much help as they can get. They need as much support as they can get for for just their daily living and their their ability to to continue. But at the same time, yeah, it's hard on me because it does feel like why do I have to be the one that has to manage everything and I don't get to share this. Nobody has to share it the same way. I I get the majority and I get the majority of the stress and I'm the one that has to, to make sure their lives continue. Well, everyone says, Oh, well, that's good. They're doing so well. Oh, they've got this nice assisted living place that they're living in. Isn't that not, that's, that's great that they have that. Oh, that, that's, that's so nice. Oh, well, uh, there's a reason why that's nice. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put it off on me, but a lot of it has to do with me. <laughs> a, that's why they're in such a good situation. Jason, has this made you look at your own lives and plan for yourselves different? I mean, when you see your parents go through it, has it spurred you to action when it comes to, let's say, your own estate planning? Laura and I, we've had estate planning done in the past. We've switched states. We've switched our investments. We haven't gone back to do that again. Not having any kids. I don't care if my money goes when I'm dead. It may not be a very popular idea, but seeing what Laura's parents go through, the way that dementia is, I won't live with that. I'll take myself out if I have to. I won't live with that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've learned from seeing how horrible the process is, how the end of life process for her parents, particularly the dementia, the Alzheimer's, and the degrading quality of life. And it's definitely made me look at what I feel for my end of life. Laura, as as you've gone through this with your parents, how has it made you feel about the procedures that we put in place in the United States in general to take care of the elderly? Are we missing the ball here? Like, are we not taking care of people and, and really putting that caregiver stress and worry all on kids and other associated caregivers? I do feel like, unfortunately, the U.S. is definitely missing the ball on this one. It seems very sad that you would have people that worked their whole lives, did everything they were supposed to, paid their taxes. My dad served in the military, you know, did everything they were supposed to do. Then it comes to the end. Had they not had their own savings, I don't know what would have happened to them because the, the systems that are in place are not set up to take care of people long term, especially people with mental or, or cognitive challenges. So if it wasn't for their own money and certainly the burden that, that now falls on me, I think they would be in a horrible state if they would they may not even still be alive if it wasn't for that for everything that we did, because what is already here is not good. It's not enough by far to take care of them. They needed a lot of extra help that just is not readily available and unfortunately is not free. And what we've seen with the assisted living facility that they're in, it's a wonderful facility, but the staff seems to be low paid and rotates a lot. And so the way the system is, the the people that are taking care of our seniors just don't get compensated enough. And it's a very hard place for anybody to be able to continue working. And so you know, we all the people we meet are are wonderful people and they're really trying to help, but they can't afford to keep these jobs is what it keeps sounding to, to us. So, Laura, as you've traversed this path again, I think there are a lot of people who you're opening up their eyes to the idea of, oh, this is really an issue I need to think about. Are Are there any steps you can suggest to someone who's not at that state yet, but sees that their parents are aging and says, you know, I want to be at least as prepared as possible. Are there some things that that we can do as people who are striving towards financial independence and who may be faced with something very similar to what you guys are? I would say definitely the, the documentation, the powers of attorney, having those conversations with your parents or your older family members about these things. What happens if? It isn't necessarily when you pass away, but also if you become incapacitated, what do you want to have happen? 
Who do you want to make these decisions for you? And then putting that into the documentation that is solid and actually will hold up. Because if they just say, oh, well, I want this person to do it, that's not enough. You need the actual documentation that legally says this person is able to do it. And at what point in their lives, there are some documents that say two doctors must say that this person is incapacitated before the the power, whoever's designated as the power of attorney can step in and make decisions. So make sure that those conversations are being had before you get to this state, because once you're there, it's in some cases, it might be too late. So yeah, you need to have the conversations. Jason, any idea of some of the resources that are helpful with that? Because as I think Laura said in the beginning of this, like her parents just didn't want to talk about it. Like, do you guys have any suggestions on how to have these conversations, maybe with parents that are a little more resistant? I wish I did, but I don't. Again, my dad never really wanted to talk about it. And then six months or so before he passed away, he had fallen, was in the hospital and he'd almost died. And then when he got out of the hospital, he was more motivated. You know, we, my brother and I had been telling him, you need to get this done. You need to get this done. And he procrastinated, procrastinated. But when he found that he almost died, it motivated him. And that was, he wasn't going to listen to us. He he was going to do it on his time. And so really, I, I don't know how to talk to people correctly to try to get this done. Laura, any suggestions or anything that, that eventually worked at all with your parents? Were there any cracks in the armor? The only thing that I was able to use was with my mother because I kept saying, well, mom, what if something happens to you? Then who's going to take care of dad? So I was able to use that as a leverage point to get her to do the documentation for herself. However, that (laughs) didn't end up getting the documentation for my father. But that was one area that I could kind of use that. Oh, well, you know, then he'll be on his own. So maybe we should start moving forward in this direction. So. If there is anything like that, if you can use grandchildren or children or whatever, that person might be a little bit more vulnerable to the idea of. But again, that just would really depend on the family dynamics and the person you're trying to talk to. Yeah, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard came from Cameron Huddleston, who wrote a book about taking care of their parents' finances, and it was Ask for Advice. Even if you don't need the advice, one of the best ways to get people to talk about these things is tell them that you are struggling with the issue and ask for their advice. And interestingly enough, that may get them to start talking about their own planning. Laura, was there any planning on your parents' side? I mean, had they done anything planning-wise for themselves? Not that I could tell. The only thing, as as we mentioned, was my father wanted to save something. He kept saying that he wanted to leave us something if he died. So that was the only planning I was aware of was, okay, there was a savings account. But as far as detailed planning about what who's going to get what and what should happen, nothing like that was, no, that was not in place. And Laura, how did you educate yourself about all these issues? You're talking about power of attorneys. You're talking about wills. You're talking about all this kind of stuff that the average person actually doesn't know much about unless they've looked at it maybe for themselves. So were there any kind of resources or how did you teach yourself so that you could then manage your parents? Well, um, yes, we did have an estate plan when we were back in California. So I, I knew about it from that when we made our own estate plan. So that helped a little bit. However, from state to state, things are very different. And then when I could tell that my parents were going to need support and that we were going to start with caregiving, I did try to find resources. So luckily online, there's there's several different kinds. Some of them are more helpful than others. Um, I also was able to speak to someone whose parent had gone through something kind of similar. So I was able to talk to her and she was really good about giving up resources and saying, hey, check into this or that. So that helped. Even commercials, I know it sounds weird, but you <laughs> hear sometimes a commercial that says, you know, something about uh, I I think a place for mom or something like that. I heard one. And I thought, oh, huh, maybe I better look into them and see what their website says. So I started to just find places to try to find more information about what I should do. And yes, because it is so individual by state, you do have to look into your own state because if, if you're reading about something in a state that you're not in, that may not have any any bearing on what's going to actually happen. Didn't you reach out to us at the Center for Aging? Was that? Yes. Yeah. As a center for aging, she talked to somebody there who helped 
get her some paperwork that, you know, the power of attorney that she ultimately had her parents re-sign. So the Center for Aging was pretty helpful. Yeah, I think there are a bunch of resources. Center for Aging is is very helpful. So I want to talk or end by talking about your hopes and fears, your personal hopes and fears. But of course, those are going to also relate to what's happening, Laura, with your parents. Let's start with the fears. Laura, what's kind of scares you right now, especially as you're thinking about your parents and their future and your own while interacting with them? Well, as I mentioned, they both have dementia. There is a part of me that wonders, okay, am I also going to go down the same path? We don't know right now what causes dementia exactly. Maybe it's genetic, maybe it's not. But seeing that I have both of my parents plus my mother's mother, which was my grandmother, she also had dementia. So I worry, am I going to, is is this my, my future? Am I going to have dementia? And when, when is that going to start to show itself? So if I forget something, I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah. is that a normal thing I'm forgetting or is that something else? So yeah, I, I find myself worrying about going down the same path of, of being a person that, that experiences dementia. As you mentioned that, you know, I had this vision of Laura pursues financial independence so she can live the life she wants to, ends up taking care of her parents up until the point they die and quickly becomes demented thereafter and and et cetera. Um, and, and it's totally not funny. And all of us are laughing as I say this. I'm laughing too. I know this is part of why I say that I don't regret our decision to pursue financial independence because we are definitely trying when we can to live the life we want to live the way we want to live it. So we're getting that whenever we can fit it in. So I don't feel like I waited and then I'm going to end up having dementia and miss all this. So I, I'm I'm glad that we did pursue it. I'm glad that we are still able when we can to fill it in with the things that we really love to do on our schedule. It's Yes, that's worth it for sure. And Jason, tell me a little bit about your hopes. Tell me what the future would look like in the best case scenario. Well, you know, we're hoping things to get a little more stable with our parents so we can take a little bit more time back for ourselves. And we really like to travel. And so, you know, the best case scenario for us would be spending some time in Mexico, going to Thailand, going to other places on the globe that we've never been to. We love that sense of adventure. We love seeing new places. There's so much of the world we would love to see. And so that that's really what our hope is for the future. Well, Jason and Laura, I wanted to thank you for coming on this show today. I think this is such an important topic. We dream about financial independence, and we think of it as this joyous place where everything is going to be just perfect. And of course, life is not like that for lots of reasons. Some people get to financial independence and just can't figure out what they want to do with themselves. Some people get to financial independence and the stock market changes, and all of a sudden, they don't feel comfortable enough with how much money they have. And others of us get to financial independence and realize that we have other burdens that we didn't expect. Maybe it's our own health care. Maybe it's that of our parents. Well, I wanted to have this conversation with you both is because this is reality, right? The reality of financial independence gives us the freedom to do things like be there for our father in his last year, in his last two weeks, which is beautiful. But it also gives us the responsibility of having enough free time to manage family members who maybe can't manage themselves. And for better or for worse, sometimes take on that burden because other family members can't. I think this has opened up our eyes not only to spur us to plan as best as we can, but also accept this fact that life is what it is, not necessarily always exactly what we're hoping it to be. But there's also beauty in the sense that we can get through and hopefully over these hurdles and and live a life we want to lead. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And if people want to reach out to you, is there a way they can? The answer to that may be no. But Laura, let's start with you. What is up next for you both? Oh, gosh, not a whole lot. Hoping to get a chance to maybe take a short vacation in December. As long as everything works out, I'd like to be able to do that. Nothing too too far away, but but just to have a break, <laughs> to have a break and have some fun. So that's probably what's most immediate that's up next. And Jason, they certainly can ask questions through me at earninvest.com, but is there any other way for them to get in touch with you if people have questions about your journey? 
I don't have any blogs or <laughs> websites. I'm on social media. That's that's pretty much where you can find me, but not really. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All questions can certainly come through earninvest.com. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Laura and Jason. That's a wrap. All right. I usually keep it running so we catch some of our after show. How did that feel? I know that that wasn't necessarily the easiest thing, especially for you, Laura. No, it's, it's not. It's not something I talk about very much. I, I just realized in answering your questions, I don't talk about this. <laughs> so it, it was good, though. It was good to, to say it and get it out. And, and, and actually, hopefully someone else can hear it because I think I'm hardly the only one going through it. And I was about to say, not only do you not talk about this, but we don't talk about this. And although we didn't go into detail and I didn't want to harp on this, but you know, it's, it's, there is a painful aspect to this of, of saying, I kind of had my hopes and dreams and plans. And now I've got this whole other thing and you know, it's falling to me (laughs) for better or for worse whether right or wrong, whether it's truly your responsibility or not. I mean, we can ethically and morally argue those things right and left for the rest of our lives, but none of that matters. There's also reality. And if you don't step up, then it isn't going to get done. And I think it's important that people hear these stories, like know about this because it's reality. It's not like that, again, roses and, 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 sunshine and and perfect day that everyone thinks that financial independence is you still have all the same problems you know part of it's driven by what we saw go on with laura's grandmother you know she had dementia she was living at home almost to the end of her life and we hear you know somebody caught her at the bus stop at 2 a.m thinks she was going to catch a bus and help her home nobody was able to be there for her grandmother and it was really sad and the people that were there weren't taking care of her, weren't doing the right thing. And so now, and Laura and her mom were best friends, just like me and my dad were best friends. And so there's no way we were going to sit here and let her mom go through the same thing that her mother went through. And so it really motivated us and Laura to to step in and do the right thing. Yeah. You know, it's also, I mean, it's amazing when you go back decades and decades ago people lived much more communally too. And so with the loss of communal living, it's just different, right? So if you go back 50 years ago, grandma would live in the house. She would decline in the house. You'd get help when you needed it. And most likely he or she would die in the house. And that was kind of part of the life cycle that everyone was accustomed to because, well, we just didn't have all this stuff, right? We didn't have all these complex financial things we needed to do. We didn't have all these institutions we had to think about paying. Honestly, we didn't even have the medical options. So people kind of got sick and died because there wasn't much else we could do. And things have just become incredibly complex in our generation, I think, specifically. I do see that it's different in different countries as well. You see a different way that these aspects are being handled with family members. And I think that Sometimes it's a cultural thing. The United States is not exactly a communal, multi-generational in one home situation, where in some other countries, that's just the norm. That's how that is. So there is the support from, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and so on. And that just isn't the way that it works in the United States. You know, for me and watching my father, he took care. Ultimately, my grandmother was in her home that she went to assisted living and then uh, towards the end, my father said, no, you're coming to our house and we're going to take care of you for her last seven months. He took care of his wife the same way. My grandmother did the same for her mother. So I had seen that in my own family, taking care of each other. And that's why I knew I had to be there when my dad passed as well. I would have been there a lot sooner for him if he had just told the truth and let us know how bad right. off he was. But he right. didn't. You guys have spent some time at Lake Chapala, which is an expat community. So obviously there are a lot of Americans there, et cetera. But have you seen any differences in the Mexican culture from what you've seen of it in how they manage elderly? Yes. Yes. The whole extended family takes care of the seniors, the cousins, the 
the entire family is there to support each other. Yeah. And this is not something we have in the U.S. And unfortunately, you know, what you are describing, I found very common as a doctor that it's usually one child who does most of the work. And can you imagine if you had siblings and cousins and if you had a group, a community around this process? I mean, in some ways, it'd be harder, right, making some decisions, but at least you had multiple hands there to help, right? Right. It would be nice to have multiple hands to to help share all the responsibilities. It, It would be. It's very difficult. Again, her parents moved away from where they grew up in Philadelphia, where a chunk, you know, the big chunk of the family lived in North Carolina. No family members live here other than her sister lives about an hour and a half. In fact, her brother moved here from Philly a couple of years ago to also help out and lives in the house, you know, that the parents have vacated. But there are no other family members here. So, again, being so diverse in where we choose to live, it, it makes a huge impact from when generations ago everybody stayed in the same town yeah yeah i mean isn't that it's it's yeah the the freedoms we now have part of the freedom which you guys enjoy right the travel and living in other places or hanging out in other places all those great things that you enjoy from your freedom but there is a consequence to all this technology and all this ability is that our communities are much more disparate than they've ever been mm-hmm. that's true or in Mexico, most of the people live in the same town they grew up in with all their family members. Yeah, yeah. It's different. Yeah. And also, kind of back to what you said earlier, in that we don't really talk about this as a subject in the United States, at least. I don't think families really sit down and talk about what's going to happen later on. And then when it does happen, as you said, oftentimes one of the children will end up being the responsible one. And some people will say to me, oh, well, aren't you lucky? Isn't this like a blessing? You get to be the one to do this. <laughs> and I, Sorry. if I'm supposed to feel a certain way or, or share, you should be cherishing every moment that you have. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. Do you know what this is like? Yeah. <laughs> have you been here? Do you, do you understand? Yeah. So that can be hard, too, sometimes where people think they're helping you by saying something like that. When really it's kind of like, well, that's, I guess that's a lovely opinion because <laughs> I'm living it and, and and it's hard and I'm I'm really having a hard time. So yeah, it's kind of interesting how people look at that and then they'll, you know, the, I don't know, I, maybe it's a rose colored glasses kind of thing where it's. <laughs> yeah. I think people mistake the joy and love and caring you get from being with someone who you're not taking care of. <laughs> versus taking care of someone physically and emotionally, which is kind of the grid of existence. Like we love our, you don't have kids, but most people love their kids, but taking care of kids is a pain in the ass. But the pain in the ass also is tempered by this idea that one, you brought them into this world, right? And two, you're hopefully forging them into a full-grown adult who can then manage themselves. There's none of that when you're taking care of your elderly parents. You see them decline. You see them almost become childlike. You see them make mad decisions. You just, it's, again, it's the grid of all the difficult things from the physical labor of some people end up changing them and taking care of them physically to just the emotional labor. There's no payoff at the end. The payoff is they die and you mourn them. It's a very, very different thing. And anyone who's gone through it, like you knows that that, that kind of viewpoint that sometimes gets expressed to you is just hooey, right? Yeah. And it's, it has nothing to do with love. You, you totally love these people you take care of, but it's a very, very different thing. Yeah. Imagine what it's like when you have to do all this and you didn't like your parents. Yeah. I think it's hard. And I think some people do it out of obligation. They do it. It's it. I, I had always had a strained relationship with my father. Um, but yes, in his time of need, I'm doing what, what I think is right because it's right. Um, but yeah, it, it's not easy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and some of that is also coming to terms of as hard as it is, my guess is, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but on some level you do it because it's right for you to do it. Not because this person either deserved it or you had that relationship. You do it because you're as painful and hard as it is. You're paying homage to yourself. You're doing what you need to do as a person Yes. For better, yeah. for worse. Yeah. We just talked about that yesterday. I mean, when you're the person that always does the right thing, you just do the right thing because that's who you are. 
Yeah. 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 And it makes you a wonderful person, right? And the the world runs on people who are willing to do the right thing, even when it's difficult, um, for better, for worse. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.